ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhunt, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 Purpose Girls, and welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. So I have a confession for you. Years ago, I had zero in my bank account. And if I'm really being honest, it probably wasn't just zero because I probably had debt at the time, student loan debt, mortgage debt, car payment. And listen, this is normal, right? Because we live in a world where we have opportunity for mortgages and we have high rents and we, you know, maybe you have a car or you have some other means or you have student loans. I mean, student loans kind of kill us. But I literally would look at my bank account and I had zero. And for me, I had just come off of a divorce. And even though I came into that marriage $7,000 up, I had been waiting tables in college, so I had this money saved. He came into the marriage with $40,000 in debt. And I didn't know that at the time. And it's okay. We would get through it. And when we divorced, we sold our house for $40,000 profit. And we just decided that we would take the $40,000, pay off the debt, and start again with zero. And so I have been in the situation where I haven't had any money, known what to do about money, and have needed people like my guest in order to help me figure out, what the heck do I do? I didn't grow up learning anything about money. Fortunately, once I started making some, my mom was great at teaching me to save before I spent but there's so much to learn. And something I see a lot in the women that I coach, that I do purpose coaching with, something I see from the women in the Women's Happiness Summit, something I hear from all of you is that finance is something that is kind of um, unknown. So let me introduce you to my guest today who is going to sort this all out for us and help us hopefully get some money zen and make us financially literate and thriving. Let me introduce you to Manisha Takor. She is a nationally renowned financial literacy advocate for women. She's worked in the financial services industry for 25 years. Her wisdom has been featured in a wide range of media from Wall Street Journal to New York Times, CNBC, The Today Show, Dr. Oz, Women's Health, Glamour, Real Simple. I mean, this woman, we are so privileged that she's going to share with us. Manisha sits on the board of the National Endowment for Financial Education. She is on faculty at the Omega Institute's Women's Leadership Center. And she's also co-author of two personal finance primers for young women in their 20s and 30s called On My Own Two Feet and Get Financially Naked. Ooh, now we're using some of my favorite language. I can't wait to talk about this. Manisha earned her MBA from Harvard Business School and her BA from Wellesley College. Her website is moneyzen.com. And of course, we have all of her social media links in the show notes. Manisha, welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. Oh, Karen, it's such a pleasure to be here. Um, I love your show. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm so excited to hear that. I'm so excited to hear that. It's a mutual love affair then because as I was getting to know about you, I thought we, I really need this woman because you work with women. First of all, you teach financial literacy workshops for women, some of whom have negative net worth, right? They own more than many, many. Okay. Many, as well as working with those who have you know, assets or net worth, you know, quarter of a million to a million um, and even over a million. And so I love that you have this range and that you can really address the full range, no matter where a woman who's listening to this, no matter where she sits, you can help us. One of the things I want to just say is people often think that um, if only I earned more money, that would solve Mm. this problem. Right. I can't tell you after 25 years of working with some exceptionally high earning people, I, I meet people who earn a million and a half dollars a year, but they spend 1.7 million. So they're oh. in the same dark hole as somebody earning $40,000, spending 45000 And a lot of people don't realize that um, 
I know it's hard to feel sorry for somebody um, in debt when they're earning a million and a half dollars, but it all stems from the same reason, which is that most of us weren't educated about personal finance to begin with. And without that knowledge, if you keep earning money, but you don't have that core understanding, you can end up face planted in that same dark hole. Mm, mm. I'm so glad that you started with this, Manisha, because we do have this idea that if I just made more money, I'd be happier. Oh my God, Karen, I, I have worked for two billionaires in my career as the help, um, as the you know analytical um, uh, uh, person crunching the numbers. How, yeah, yeah, yes. crunching their numbers. Got it. Yeah, but um, and I have worked with clients from net worths of a million dollars to two hundred and fifty million dollars, and so. Mm. I have had this unbelievable bird's eye view to exceptional wealth. And what I have come to realize is that wealth just magnifies whoever you already are. And if you are not happy, mm. when you get more wealth, whoa, you are just more unhappy in like really big ways. And um, I mean that from a soul level, but then also logistically, a lot of people don't realize what happens. Um, you think, oh, it would be great to have. I mean, I know I'll give you an example of an unnamed um, situation of a, a, a couple with about 500 million in assets. And they have um, five homes um, and uh, access to a private plane. And their marriage is completely falling apart because they're never mm -hmm. in the same homes at the same time. And the complexity of keeping up that kind of life and keeping up with the Joneses has driven them to live in such a narrow bubble of their own competitive world that they're, it's like they're not even experiencing life. So, wow. um, yeah, money, there's a certain level of money and all the, all the studies say it's $75,000 a year, which of course, if you live in New York or San Francisco, you're like, okay, what was the person <laughs> doing that study snorting? Um, right. <laughs> right. right. I, I've quoted that, too, because the research studies do show that we do need, obviously, a certain amount of money to, you know, pay our bills and be, you know, have food on the table. But then over $75,000, they say it doesn't make that much difference in happiness. But if I'm giving that talk in New York City, right, everybody is just laughing. Yeah. So, OK, so on average, depending on where you live, 75000 uh, well, let's just call it a seventy, uh, a point of enough. I, I feel like a point of enough. Good. Okay. Great. I wish we would use that word more enough because mm. I feel like as a nation, what we are doing is op we are subtly getting these messages to optimize our lives for more, rather mm. than optimizing our lives for enough. And no one is immune to this. And let me just give you an example. I am ridiculously anal when it comes to my finances. I can tell you within $20 plus or minus where I have spent every dollar since I graduated from college in 1992. I, I track it um, at, at the moment I spend it. I add it up in a spreadsheet. I know exactly what I've spent and I can circle back to that because when I got divorced, it helped me a lot know what my choices were. But last night happened right. to be um, the last day of Amazon Prime Day Fiesta. Now, Amazon is <laughs> smart. The reason they do this crazy two-day thing in the middle of the summer is it's a slow period, um, but they've captured psychology. So once they get you online seeing the discounts, then they're showing you what other people have purchased who have bought those things with discount items, and they're not discounted. Long story short, I'm I'm renovating a, a a condo, so I started only with prime items, and I had a ninety seven dollar basket only with prime items. By the time I checked out, I had a four hundred and thirty four dollar basket oh. because a I was exhausted. I was doing this at almost midnight, but b I just got caught up, and I know better. Right, right. You're an expert at this. So I just want to say that it is hard for all of us. I got sucked mm. into the consumer psychology of right. the retailing behemoths. They have put so much effort into studying our psychology and figuring out how to trap our heads in that beautiful place of endorphins and adrenaline rush when we're shopping. 
And they have, and they seem to know exactly what we want. Yes. Right. Like they, and we don't have to get into kind of how they do this, but they, they are sending us. That's why it's so easy to go into debt. Right. Because we, they know it's like, you know, I've been eyeing, um, a pair of flats for a while. I really need some new flats. And I swear that that comes up on my Instagram and Facebook feed every five minutes and bless them because that they're running a business is what they have to do. But that's why it's so easy to go into debt and be a little bit out of our, out of control with our finances. You are hitting on something, Karen, that I think is huge. I, I see a lot of conversation about sort of the big brotherness of marketing now and how they're, they're tracking us with the exact images of whatever it is that we have spent time looking at online. But I think it's even more insidious than that. I have been noticing for quite some time now, if you look at any TV show or magazine or movie, and I'll just pick on TV shows right now. So um, if you watch any police, medical or legal drama, I happen to be obsessed with Meghan Markle right now. So I'm going back through all the Suits episodes. So that one's front and center in my head. And, you know, these shows all take place in um, humid cities. Yet there is never a secretary or a paralegal um, who is showing up to work with any frizz on her hair on any day. Mm. Which means she has just had a fresh blowout before going to the office. So like, whoop, there went 75 bucks. Then her mm. hair went perfect. They're, like they're never chipped. So obviously mm. she's getting weekly manicures. So you know, depending mm. on your city, there's another 50 bucks. But then the really big stuff kicks in. If you look at their clothes and the cut and the fabric and the fit, and then you look at the things they do to entertain themselves, and you look at the the, the homes they're portrayed as living in, like the small home that Megan's character shares with her boyfriend on suits would be a fortune in New York. It's tiny, but mm. tiny is a fortune there. And it would be way mm -hmm. more than you could afford on a paralegal salary. And so my point is if an economic student did a dissertation where they added up how much you would have to earn in order to groom and live like the images we see and pick any medium, you would likely have to earn 20 to 30% more. And guess what? That's, you know, that's the difference between having an extra... 10, 15, 20% in savings and being in debt. For so wow. many of us, it's because we're aspiring to what we think is normal, but what we've been shown as normal is a funny mirror. Yes. Yeah. And and that aspiration, it, that's amazing that it's about a 20, you know, mm -hmm. you said, you know, 10 to 30% difference. Mm -hmm. And that it's kind of a one for one in terms of are we in debt or are we saving? Mm -hmm. And that we're seeing, as you said, this image of normal and really, I think, equating to what we think would make us happy Yes, when it doesn't. And do you see differences? I mean, you talked about people who have the negative net worth and people with the high net worth. And you talked about that, you know, even the people with the highest net worth are not necessarily yeah. happy. What do you notice as the differences in happiness or even the commonalities you know, those who are unhappy or those who feel really at peace? Oh, without a doubt, I have um, noticed it's a formula. People mm. who have figured out how to spend their money and their time in direct alignment with what matters most to them in life, they are the ones that are happy and at peace at, at, at any income mm. level, provided that the money and that they're spending is not causing them to go into debt. And so what I've noticed is that there's a big misalignment between the way people spend their money and time and what they actually care about in life. And if you do an audit on either of those two, time or money, you will likely find an enormous amount of leakages of um, both of those going in areas that don't serve what you really truly care about. And mm. that I think is at the core of unhappiness from a financial standpoint. I mean, there are other elements that come into that. The definition of what you, of what matters to you in life is another conversation, right? So um, it used to be in certain periods in history, what, what, what society almost forced everyone to have matter in their lives because of the way in which we lived was 
family and community because we, we engaged in what Vicki Robin, who is the author of Your Money or Your Life, it's an iconic book. I recommend everybody read it. Best $12 you'll ever spend. Um, wow. She says, we've shifted from place-based living. So, you know, we used to live in these communities where if you did something crappy, well, that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life because you don't mm. move more than two or three miles away from where you live. So, you know, as we, as modern life has changed, so many of the societal structures that sort of inherently brought us happiness, friends, community, a higher power, however you want to define that, giving back, those were all embedded um, in the fabric of life out of necessity because you lived in a certain place for most of your life. Um, and so how you define what it is that matters most to you is as important. I don't focus on that piece. I focus on the helping you make sure that the money is aligned. But in doing right. how that, do I get there? Right. In yeah. doing that, that's what I've noticed. It's a formula. And at any income mm. level, people can nail it. And at any income level, people can face plant on it. Mm. Well, you're bringing up something, which is what I help women with, which is to figure out what is meaningful. Yeah. Right. And what it is that you really, really, really desire. Mm -hmm. And we live in a world, you know, I can tell you, I really, really, really desire a beach house. <laughs> and, you know, do I know absolutely that that beach house itself will not make me happy? Yes. And will it make me happy? Yes. Because the question is, why do I want the beach house? Mm -hmm. And I want the beach house for a few reasons. One, the water calms me. Mm -hmm. So I'm someone who has, I have, you know, dealt with anxiety, according to my mom, since I was three. Mm -hmm. And I know that like, I, you know, I've been dealing with, I'm in the middle of a fertility mm -hmm. uh, journey. And, I don't know what else to call right, it. Right, that'll provoke anxiety. Right, and talk about a lot of money, right, yes. and all of that. And um, and when I got some challenging news recently, you know, I went right to the water. Mm. Went right to the water, right? So it's like I have a creek near my house. I just went and sat there because it mm -hmm. calms me. And then my husband and I went to the beach, mm -hmm. um, you know, over, over the following weekend because the ocean, it just makes me feel better. So I know, so that's number one. It, I just, it's going to call me and, mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> I really got to get this beach house. Okay. Number two, I want to be able to have a, a place for people I love to come. Yeah. You know, and like, I love cooking. I love hosting dinner parties you know, anyone who is anywhere near my house, please give me a buzz because I just love hosting. And, you know, so I, I have this image of people coming, you know, into our beach house and being able to enjoy it and being able to enjoy company and, you know, sitting around a glass of a table with a glass of wine mm -hmm. and, and connecting and all of that. And, you know, number three, I also know the way that my mind works is kind of to get out of Dodge, right? Yeah. I, I can get so into the busyness, busyness, busyness that like if I can have a place that escapes. Oh, and I'll say number four, I have images of writing my, of writing books yeah. when I'm, you know, looking out of the, so, so yeah, so we really need to figure out that <laughs> right now the fertility is taking the beach house money, but like when that is all done, we need to save back up for that. So, you know, so it's so interesting because we all do look at the person who has the five houses and go, well, that would be nice. You know, yeah. a house in Paris and a house yeah. in, right. Um, what I'm hearing you say is we more have to understand what's meaningful to us and why do we want what we want, and then we'll be able to know what enough is. And we'll be able to come up with a, a financial plan that can a help plan. you get there. You know, so uh, you mentioned a couple things. One is trade-offs, right? So mm. if, if you're spending money on, we all have a pie. It's a hundred percent. Like some of that hundred percent is a really big <laughs> right. number, some of that percent, but we all have a pie. Um, that is the sum total of money available to us to spend in a given year. And we have a choice to slice it up however we want. But mm. the point mm. is, if we slice it up in such a manner that is more than 100%, we're in debt. So it's the choices we make with that 100% that will determine... I mean, I say the most important thing when it comes to personal finance is learning to live within your means. Learning to live within your means simply means knowing your pie is 100% not making your pieces be larger than that and mm. being really mindful and conscious and aware about how you choose to make those slices. And if you want your slices for lattes to be huge, that's fine. I do. So I have a huge latte budget. So it's not like somebody <laughs> can point a finger at you and say, don't do this. You get to choose. 
But the one thing you don't get to choose is that the pie is 100% for all of us. Right. Oh, this is so great because it is. People would say, well, just cut out Starbucks, you know, or just cut out. And it's like, well, that is up to you to know what, what really fills you up. And I think of this, you know, it's interesting we're talking about this. It's reminding me of how I think about time. Yeah. I interviewed Valerie Burton, who wrote an incredible mm-hmm. book called It's About Time. And she's written like 12, but this is her more recent book. And we have we have time and it's really being honest with ourselves, like really being honest. Where am I spending that money or where am I spending that time? And anytime you think, I don't have money for that, we do. We have money for almost anything. You know, are you choosing to live in a house that you really don't, you don't even need or want all that space? Or are you choosing to spend your money, you know, where and where are you spending it and for you to own it? That that would, sounds like it would make a huge difference. It does. I mean, I, I call this concept true wealth. Um, mm. And you have true wealth. Um, and I spell wealth in this context, W-E-L-L-T-H. Mm. So you have true wealth when you have really iterated, because no one gets it right on the first time, um, how, and, and it's a constant iteration as your life changes, the, the split of how you want to and where you want to put your money and time and the relationship to what matters most changes. But if that can be your mental framework, um, along with this knowledge that your pie is 100 and that's the one constraint that you have, and you know you can choose to spend your time growing the pie because you want the slices to um, give you more dollars per slice. There are a lot of things, but those two frameworks can really keep you out of so much financial pain and, and difficulty. And I meet people who, when they do these audits, find the darndest things. Like some of it hmm. is seemingly small, right? Like oh my God, I'm spending money on drinks out with people that make me feel like crap about myself. Like (laughs) I can cut that out. I'm not losing any joy by reducing that. And I can redirect it in another area to savings, debt, um, repayment, or some other form of joy. You know, you reminded me, one of my coaching clients, she came to me for purpose and not about money because that's, you know, I'd send somebody to you. But the, the as we just looked at her current life, just what was going on, she was constantly buying things, mm. often buying things at beauty stores, Sephora, Ulta, yeah. you know, and nothing against those stores, but it's like, or on Amazon or whatever yeah. it might be, which is like a shopaholic. And what we discovered is she was using shopping to fill a hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Or, and like with the beauty products was using all these beauty products to fill a hole of not feeling good and beautiful in herself. And that goes to this issue that we were, we were talking about early of more versus enough. When the messages we receive in society keep telling us that the way we fill the hole is through more of something. Mm. Um, it, and we all have a hole. We're human. Um, yeah. But society doesn't tell us to fill the hole by optimizing for enough. I, th- I think probably the happiest period in my entire life was right after I graduated from business school. Um, I went down to Houston, Texas to work for um, a self-made multi-billionaire who uses a, a similar investment philosophy as Warren Buffett. And I was very frugal then because I'd just gotten out of school and I wanted to really start saving. And I lived in an 800 square foot, one bedroom condo I had um, three suits for work, um, two sundresses, because it's Houston, so it's hot all around the year, a pair of black shoes for work, and a pair of sandals with the sundresses. And that was it. Those were like all the clothes that I had, partially because I didn't need more than that. Um, You know, my suits were all black. No one was going to notice if I was wearing the same one. Um, And I had so much excess disposable income to both save voraciously and do the things that really brought me joy. Um, Mm. Whether it was sitting in a coffee house, reading a book over my gosh darn $5 latte and enjoying every sip of it or (laughs) taking some trips. And, but I traded off like, you know, other pieces were very different and my life looked odd. And I remember friends saying like, you're weird. And I really think that's the secret. Like 
you find your own weirdness and you mm. optimize for whatever makes you happy because if you ascribe to those external images, it most likely won't make you happy. It most likely will make you go into debt. Whereas if you embrace whatever your own weirdness is, because that's usually where your happiness is. Yes. Um, that really, to me, was a, 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 a big pivotal life moment for me. This is so brilliant. Okay, first of all, I love putting picture frames on things that I think we need to like just have as quotes around, you know, around wherever we are. And your weirdness is your happiness. Yeah. I, I like, I will be quoting you on that for a very long time because it's so true. The things that we think, oh, I shouldn't do that or oh, it's abnormal or I shouldn't spend money on myself for that. Like it's weird, tends to be like the more outrageous, the happier you are. A hundred percent. I love that. And it's you knowing yourself then. Well, and I think about you and the beach house. Well, like, this is what I would say to you. Figure out how to live in the smallest space that makes you exquisitely happy, like in the Marie Kondo sense in your day-to-day -day life. And mm. then rather than buy a beach house, get really good at looking at VRBO and um, Vacasa um, and Airbnb as well and find beach homes that you can rent for a week or a month and you work from there and you invite your friends to come and then you mm. can experience lots of different beaches but you don't have when you add up the aggregate cost of time spent at the beach um, versus home ownership it'll be dramatically less um, you won't have any of the stress of the beach home ownership and you'll have all the fun of what it is that you wanted to to do Mm, um, and so that's what I would advise you is um, go do, don't wait, go rent the beach house, but pair back somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is so smart. This is so smart. Even as I was telling you my why for a beach house, which I haven't thought about in a really long time, I also thought, you know, Karen, how could I create that right now? Yeah. Right. And this is kind of outside of the money conversation, but I thought, wow, right now I can be inviting friends into this home. Mm -hmm. Right. Right now, uh, we could be going to the beach more often, even if it's for a day trip. We do live an hour and a half to two hours from beaches. And so you know, these are like little things that then start to also, I think, set us in motion for creating what we want, which I think is really important, too. And I love this idea. Where where do we need to scale back? Right. We may, we've made a big decision this year in terms of putting money toward fertility. And that was another thing that we want. And, and there's trade-offs. It's fertility now. And then, you know, renting beach house maybe next summer or mm -hmm. two summers from now when mm -hmm. we when we save back up. So you do a lot of financial education and economic empowerment. And, and I love it that you're on, you know, you've, you've been part of two primers or you've you co-authored two primers, you know, on my own two feet, get financially naked. Beyond what we've talked about, what are two things that you think every woman needs to know to be financially literate? Where do we start? So it all starts with saving. Um, if you don't mm. save, um, nothing else is going to work out. And what I hear from people all the time is I'll save when I make more money. And I cannot emphasize this enough. If all you can save is 10 bucks a week, great. Save 10 bucks a week. If, if it's 20 bucks a month, save 20 bucks a month. That simply starting the habit of savings starts this magical snowball that suddenly mm. pulls and I don't I, I know this sounds woo woo but like I'm saying this with my strongest Harvard MBA hat on that I can <laughs> like I have seen this happen over and over again that once you start doing it you start naturally doing more of it and the reason why it's the red car game you're driving down the road and you see no red cars until you think about the red car. And then suddenly you're seeing them everywhere. And it's the same mm. thing with savings. Once you start, no matter how small the dollar amount, your brain subconsciously is starting to see other areas in your daily life where you're like, oh, when I think about the time, money, um, happiness equation, or I think about my pie being 100%, is maybe I could save some of that um, without cutting out any joy. And so, that's the biggest one. And the reason I emphasize this is um, I'm 49. And one of the things I've noticed is if you start using sunscreen in your 20s and 30s, you will look no different than your other girlfriends in their 20s and 30s. But by the time you're almost 50, it is very clear who used sunscreen 
and who did not. And the, oh wow, the stuff you have this to is such do, a good analogy. <laughs> the stuff you have to do when you're approaching fifty to look like you had used it all along. It's it hurts and it's expensive. And that's the same thing with savings. If you don't start and you know, if you miss it in your twenties and thirties, start in your forties and fifties. Well, most of us women will live to our hundred. So we got plenty of years there. My point is that small actions early on really start to snowball the same way regularly mm. using sunscreen makes a difference on our skin. Oh, this is so good. Yeah. So, I'd never thought of that analogy and it's so true because I'm someone who never used sunscreen when I was younger and I totally get what you're saying. And so the, and, and, and now seeing in my parents who are in their seventies and how often they have spots removed or melanoma, yeah. I mean, it's just such a good example, right? So does it matter how much we save if someone's out there and they're like, I literally am, am you know, Manisha, this is great, but I'm paycheck to paycheck and, you know, I don't have more than $10 a month to save. Does that matter? Yeah. I mean, if you have $10 a month, save $10 a month. The The point is to start. Um, mm. I uh, One of the things that will sound odd that I like to talk about is um, I am bipolar, I, I, bipolar too. And I speak about it because we don't talk nearly enough about mental health at all in this country. Um, that's a whole other story about how when you when you struggle, whether it's anxiety, it's depression, it's, you know, somewhere else on the spectrum, how you get help. But when you struggle with mental health issues, sometimes you face plant. And I mm -hmm. um, recently had a really bad patch of getting divorced and moving and changing jobs and the whole, you know, nine yards. And, and um, I got divorced because somebody else stepped into my place. So it was one of those really gut-wrenching, heart-searing. Yeah. So I face planted and I gained an unbelievable amount of weight and I stopped exercising and I just couldn't get going. I couldn't get going. And I was visiting my brother and his wife and they have an old, you know, exercise bicycle in the basement. And he was like, just get on for five minutes. And I'm going to cry oh as I talk about this. I, he's like, I'll stand there with you. And I got on the bike for five minutes. That's all I could do. And then the next day he was like, let's, let's try for seven. And so I did seven. And by the time I left his house, I had done 15 minutes, which was miraculous, you know, yes. and it's a year and a half later now. And I'm doing like Legree, which is like Pilates on steroids and I'm spinning and I'm swimming and I'm moving, but it all started with five minutes of my brother standing with me in his basement just saying you can do five minutes. And so in any area of your life, your finances are no different. We all face plant, we all crack. And you know, there's a famous quote, everybody breaks. Some of us just get stronger at the cracks. And so mm. um, just the simple act of saving that $5 a month or $10 a month is gonna help you slowly and if it takes three years, fine. It's that yeah. forward momentum. And you know what? That forward momentum will make you happy. Um, as I was moving yes. from 15 minutes to 17 minutes to 19 minutes, I was getting happier. I had found my yes. purpose. Yeah. And you feel so good about right. yourself, right? right? You feel like, wow, I did that. What else can I do? Wow, I did that. What else yeah. can I do? And you start to see things differently. So in that case, I'm guessing instead of always seeing the red car, then you start seeing, oh, there's an exercise class I would love to take. Right. Or there's, you know, there's a health, a food choice that I want to make. And I am so grateful to you. And I have tears in my eyes too. I'm so grateful to you for sharing that story. Thank you for sharing, trusting me and trusting us with your truth. And because mental health, this whole podcast is about our mental health. And I know how many people struggle with it and we don't talk about it. And so I am with you, sister, and I am just honored to be by your side, both of us struggling with mental health and be doing this and still moving forward, even after face plants. And I'm so inspired. First of all, I love your brother. Okay. I, I'm like, I don't know if he's single and we can hook him up with another lady who's listening, but like, or a man who's listening, whatever, you know, I'm just go brother and go you because that's amazing. And what an analogy for us. Mm -hmm. Manisha, right? It's five minutes on the bike or it is $5 in the bank. Mm -hmm. And that is what matters. You know, 
my mom taught me when I started making my own money, when I went to college, my parents were wonderful. I was blessed with them paying for my college tuition, Mm -hmm. but they did not pay for my books or my social life. Mm -hmm. So that was totally on me. And so I waited tables and she taught me, take the money, like take your tips and it goes in the bank first. So if you made $100 in tips, 75 goes into the bank, 25, then you can go out um, and do what you want with. And it was so important because I would finish waiting tables at 10 at night Mm -hmm. where all my friends were at the bar. Mm -hmm. So what did I want to go do? Oh, I got a hundred bucks in my pocket. Let's go spend it. And I went to the ATM and I stuffed $75 in cash into that ATM, you know? And so I love what you're saying. And it did, it made a huge difference. You're so inspiring. I'm just so grateful to you right now. Well, and this, you know, they call it pay yourself first. Sometimes people use the Mm. analogy of the line that almost none of us listen to anymore because we're so tired of hearing it when you get on an airplane, put your oxygen mask on first before helping. And it's this whole notion of putting something away. You asked Mm. if there were two steps. And the second Mm. step is, you know, if you are saving almost by definition, not always, but almost by definition, you are not debting. Um, even if you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you're putting aside a couple of dollars, if if you are in debt now, that's okay. There are ways to get out. And I'm just going to mention one briefly because I want to move on to the second step. Um, but Dave Ramsey, in my opinion, has the single best book out there about getting out of debt. It's called The Total Money Makeover. Um, It's tough love. It has a bit of a religious uh, overtone to it. So that can throw some people off. I'm very spiritual, but not traditionally religious. So it was like, woo. Um, (laughs) But the advice is spot on. And Gene Chatsky has another very similar um, book without any of that uh, religious overlay. And it's called Pay It Down. Um, And both books basically walk you through you know, for 15 bucks or less, exactly what you need to do to get out of debt. Like it's the plan. It works. It's not fun to do, um, but you will get out of debt. And so if you're struggling with debt, read either the total money makeover or Gene Chatsky's book by Dave Ramsey or Gene Chatsky's book, pay it down. But then the next biggest mistake I see once you're out of debt and you're starting to save is not investing because saving alone Mm. is not uh, enough because of inflation. So if you had that $100 in tips and you went home and you flopped on the sofa and said, I'm not moving until I watch every single iteration of Law & Order reruns, that would take you like 30 years. And so Mm. you'd stand up in 30 years and you'd still have 100 bucks in your back pocket, but if inflation is 3%, you would only be able to buy what $40 did when you Ooh. got done um, with that night of, of hard work. And if inflation is 5% over 30 years, that 100 bucks will buy what $20 did. It's shocking. Small increases in inflation just are like termites eating away at your money. Wow. Let me just pause yeah. it. Because I I am married to a mathematician, my mom is a mathematician, and my brain needs a little like to catch up with numbers. So I just want to make sure I heard this correctly. If anyone out there is like me and my is like me, that a hundred dollars today in thirty years will is the equivalent of twenty dollars thirty years from now. If inflation is five percent, if inflation is five percent, and even you said if it was three percent, it's forty. Yeah. So what would buy me a hundred dollars today? 30 years from now, chances are will only buy me $40 worth of stuff. And that's honestly best case scenario because wow. average inflation in America has been 3%. The odds of it going lower than that, not high. Um, odds of it going higher than that, um, much better. So right. you know, think about that 40 bucks as your best case scenario. So right. a lot of people think investing is like gambling or overwhelming or so complex. But we forget that the the root point of it is to help our money at least keep up with inflation. And then if we're lucky, grow a couple percentages ahead of inflation. Um, but my inner feminist after 25 years of frequently being the only woman in the room and having been asked to serve coffee far too many times mm-hmm. um, relative to my professional position at the time that I was being asked to bring coffee. And when the other, when your colleagues who 
uh, we're men. We're not asked to bring coffee. No, like, it's hysterical. <laughs> like, there's one point, like, I'm running a $6 billion fund. I like to mentor people. Like, there aren't a lot of other women in my industry. So sometimes I have to mentor the other young men and they're in the conference right. room with me and I'm asked to bring the coffee. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's which body parts do we yeah, have? Right. Um, I'm like, yeah. But, but the, Sorry. So, so coming back. Yes. Yeah, so your inner feminist says that most of the financial services industry has been built historically by men for men. And it's like one mm. gigantic, they talk about it like it's a big PlayStation. And so what I want women to know is you can use one investment for your entire life. And that's all you ever have to do to think about what to do with your savings. It's called a target date retirement fund. And you want one built on what are called index funds. We could do a whole show on this. So I'm just going to cut right to the chase. You get them at Vanguard or you get them at Fidelity. It, and you just Google Vanguard. And they, they call theirs target date retirement funds. Fidelity calls them index freedom funds. They have non-index freedom funds. You want index freedom funds. At the end of each of those words is a date rounded to five years, 2030, 2035, 2040. The year corresponds to the year in which, um, roughly speaking, you'll turn 70. Okay. So, you know, I'm, I'll be turning 70 in 20 years. So if we use round numbers, I would own a target date 2040 fund. That is the only investment, honestly, unless you have over a million dollars, you can put everything into that one fund. Why? Because when you own that one fund, you own pieces of 10,000 different individual stocks and bonds. You are widely diversified. A lot of people say, oh my God, I don't want to have all of my money in one, in, in one place. Vanguard and Fidelity are custodians. They're like the safe deposit box. Um, and so it, what you're owning is not associated with them. You're owning the, the underlying investments. So you're not putting yourself at risk by having all of your money at one of those institutions, nor are you putting yourself at risk by putting it all in one investment. Cause that one investment, it's like eating, drinking every day, the world's most gigantic nutrient dense smoothie. And if people knew how easy it was, like, that's all you need to do if you're just getting started. And um, wow. that can be life-changing. On average, those funds grow six, seven, eight percent um, over a long period of time. In any one year, they'll be way up or way down. But if inflation is 3% and those guys grow at six, seven percent, now instead of having 20 bucks or 40 bucks, you actually end up with 120 bucks or 140 bucks. And so you invest to stave off inflation and ideally make your money grow a little faster than inflation. And that's not the message you get from the wide press. Um, mm -mm. So that's what I want people to know. Oh, thank you so much. I, you're not the first financial person I've interviewed for the, for the Purpose Girl podcast. And you're the first who's mentioned that. And I appreciate it because I look at the stock market. And I go, I don't know. It's just too complicated. You know, like, and that's why I end up hiring somebody like you, right? This is what you do for people is that you help them kind of figure out what to do. And I think as I can only speak for myself, I was never taught anything about this. And so I love that you're telling us exactly what fund and exactly how to go do it to protect our money. And you made it so, so, so simple. You know, I'm so curious because you seem to have a lot of knowledge around money and happiness and how they go together. And of course, everything we do here comes back to a woman's happiness, a woman really living her purpose. Do you have a personal happiness mantra that you say? I do. Um, uh, my mantra, I spent my junior year in college studying at Oxford and I discovered two books when I was over there. One was Virginia Woolf's book, A Room of One's Own, in which mm. she says a woman cannot create unless she has some money and some space of her own. 
And the other book was Susie Orbach's um, Fat is a Feminist Issue. Susie Orbach was actually um, Princess Di's therapist when she was dealing with eating issues and filling her hole with, with food. And mm. um, reading those two books completely changed my life. And what I took away from them were um, three concepts. And so I'm on the plane back on this cocktail napkin and I, I drew out a triangle. And at the top, I wrote simplicity. In the bottom left-hand corner, I wrote small joys. In the bottom right-hand corner, I wrote financial independence. And every year um, at New Year's, I sit down and I look at those and I ask, is there anything that I want to change from that kind of life mantra? And over the last two and a half decades, the only thing I've changed is to add the word curiosity into the center of the mm. triangle. But that's mm. those are my guiding principles. And there's something I'd love to go back to if, if we have a moment, which is yeah. what's the role of a financial advisor if I just told you like what to do with your investments, like right mm. there. And the industry has changed dramatically in a way that I think will really help women. And that's the reason why I want to get this information out there. In the old days, the role of a financial advisor was simply to tell you what to do with your investments. If that's all your financial advisor is doing, you have an old fashioned financial advisor. I think what to do with your investments is 20% of the value that an mm. advisor brings. The main things advisors should be doing for you are one, making sure you understand how markets work from a big picture standpoint. So when markets in, go down as they always do, you do not panic and sell, that you understand the strategy. So you're sticking with it. And you know if you're using this financial smoothie index strategy, like you can grasp that. Secondly, they're helping you set aside enough in cash that when the market does go down, you actually do not have to sell any investments in order to maintain your standard of living. If you have debt, they're helping you with a plan to get out of it. Mm. Even more importantly, they're helping you identify most Americans, most people across the globe have no idea how much money they should be striving to save for retirement. If your advisor isn't helping you figure that number out, then get rid of them. Because without that number, you can't then back into how much you should be saving a month or a week to get there. Um, they should also be helping you, but not selling you insurance, reviewing your policies, making sure that you've got everything set. You would be amazed how a lifetime of savings can get blown up by you know something as simple as living in a floodplain and not having gotten the $300 a year federal flood insurance. Um, mm and estate planning. Um, if you have kids, just getting a simple will in place. A financial advisor should be looking at all of these aspects. And so I would argue that just as the notion of happiness and positive psychology has really gotten very robust and 360, so too has financial advice, but we're at the early stages of it. So you only mm. want to work with a holistic financial planner that's looking at all of these pieces and very importantly, one that adheres to the fiduciary standard, which means they work for an organization that is legally structured in a way that they have a legal obligation to put your interests ahead of their selves or their firm. These organizations mm. report up to the SEC. What most people don't know is 80% of advisors out there work for firms that operate under the suitability standard, which means legally they have the right to put their own interest ahead of yours or their firm's interest ahead of yours, so long as it's suitable. So um, that, wow. that means that they can sell you products and solutions that benefit them. So two pieces, if a financial advisor is only advising you on your investments, they're not a financial advisor, they're a dinosaur. Um, and if you're working with somebody you are paying for financial advice, you want to ask them, do you operate as a, as a fiduciary or under the suitability standard? If you ask, they have to answer honestly. They don't have to tell you if you don't ask. 
And if it's under suitability, get rid of them. You, you, there are plenty of fiduciary advisors. You only want a holistic fiduciary advisor. Mm, that is such good advice. That is so, so important. Thank you so much. Because I know I, I wouldn't have known where to look for that. I look at like, oh, who do I know? They're a financial advisor. You know, so we don't, we don't know these things. Or I, I can't speak for all of you out there, but I know I don't. And so that, or I haven't. And that is so helpful, Manisha. That is so, so, so helpful. I know we're almost at time, but I, I had one more question that came up for me. What do you say to a woman who, when we talk about where she puts her money, she's spending anything extra she has on kids and, yeah. and, and not anything toward her own needs. So where she might be, you know, really needing a self-care day, or she might really be needing to work with a, a coach or a therapist, or she might really be needing a girlfriend weekend for her own mental sanity, but is like, oh, but, you know, my child needs, you know, or wants, I should say, you know, wants new toys. And that comes first. Uh, what do you say to a woman who's struggling with that? How to put themselves in that first place? Three things. Number one, um, the USDA um, uh, keeps stats on how much it costs to raise an average child from birth to high school, excluding uh, higher education. Since I've been following that stat, it's grown from like $175,000 over a lifetime to now it's like $225,000. My point mm. is we've had inflation in what it takes to raise a child, not because their needs are more expensive, because what we think we need to give them is more expensive. Mm. Second, mm -hmm. when you are helping your kids at your own expense, what you are modeling, because kids are like sponges, they pick it up, not even from what you say, but from the energy you're giving off, what you're modeling is put other people ahead of yourself. Is that the message you want to give them? And then third, especially for women who are heading towards retirement, I see this so often and they're spending money on lessons or parties, birthday parties, or helping the kids in all different kinds of ways at the expense or helping their kids get an apartment, right. like pay for pay for their kids' apartment when your child could be earning and have getting their own job in their own apartment. Yeah. yeah. Or living with you, saving money or paying rent to you um, so that they're learning good financial habits. When you do that, you are essentially handing the burden of your retirement on to your children. And it will hit them right mm. in middle age when they're raising their own families. And now they're going to have to take care of you because you didn't plan. Is that really what you want to give your child? Because when you, when you help them with the house down payment at the expense of your retirement, you are burdening them with your elder care. Mm, later on. Oh, that's so interesting. It's, it makes so much sense. Yeah. And Karen, can I just say one last really quick thing? When I say Please. this in front of when I'm doing keynote speeches and I say this, I've had several times where women have stood up spontaneously to give a standing ovation. And it's to have this permission because society tells women we have to put everybody else first, especially our kids. So I just want listeners to know literally like spontaneous standing ovations around this notion that it is okay to put yourself first. Yes. Yes. I'm going to give a standing ovation <laughs> right now. I mean, that, I mean, it's so much of what we talk about here at the Purpose Girl podcast. And I see it with money yeah. all the time, all the time. And I hadn't thought about how it will impact the kids. Either now you don't give them the down payment or later they won't have the money because they need to be supporting you. So it's, it makes so much sense. So much sense. Thank you so, so much. So, Manisha, I could talk to you forever. And in to, to honor your time and all the listeners' times, I want to get to something I do with all of my guests. It's called the Purpose Power Playround. And what I do is I, as you've heard, because you listen to my podcast, a couple of random questions. And whatever is the first thing that comes to your mind is the right answer. Are you down for playing? I am. Okay. Amazing. Okay. So you've already given us a bunch of great book suggestions, so I won't ask that one. So question number one. I said that, you know, something I really desire is this beach house. What's something you're saving for? I want to get rid of all of my possessions one day and just travel around the world with no plan. Mm. Ooh, 
Oh, that's so good. Oh my goddess, that's so good. Are there places you want to go or just like you really want to hit every country? Literally, with no plan. I've been to 38 different countries oftentimes for work. Um, and I just want to go spontaneously. I, I, I don't want to plan. Um, I want to have enough in savings that I can afford the luxury of not planning. And, you know, Airbnb it from place to place and picking one country when I get tired of the one I'm in. Oh my gosh. That's going to be amazing. Amazing. Such I, I, it's going to happen because I know you're saving for it. I know it's, I love it. Okay. Number two, when you were a little girl, what do you want to be when you grew up? Um, I wanted to have voices and choices. Didn't know what profession was going to help me get there, but my mom always told me that money gives women voices and choices. So I knew I wanted to do something mm. that earned me enough money to have voice and choice. How interesting that you went into the profession of money in order to have money to have. Well, <laughs> it's just, it's like a little. And it's, yeah. It was deliberate. I mean, I went and I looked at all of the careers out there and I identified, to be blunt, where I could make the most money the quickest. And that was on Wall Street in investment banking. And that's where I started. Mm -hmm. And then my soul got tired of working for corporations. And after I'd made a nice sum of money, I shifted over to helping human beings, which lights my soul. Mm, I can see it in you. I yeah. love it. I can see it in you. You know, I tell all of you sometimes that I, when I'm interviewing somebody, I can actually see them. And so you should see this woman. She's so gorgeous. And I had just done a workout. So I loved hearing your story because you've just done a workout before our session. And I can see you get so animated talking about this. So I love it. And what a brilliant mama. Voices and choices. Blessed. Yeah. I'm blessed. Oh, oh you know, I, I often say that our happiness as women comes down to two words. I choose. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I think that's what positive psychology comes down to. It's what happiness comes down to. I um, have a signature necklace for sale on my website. It's called I Choose. And it's, you know, it, it, it's an I Choose necklace because that is, yeah. your mama was just so brilliant. That was totally where it is. Totally where it is. Well, Minisha, you have been an incredible guest here on the Purpose Girl podcast. Thank you so, so, so much. Tell us quickly where people can find you. Sure. Uh, my website is moneyzen.com, M-O-N-E-Y-Z-E-N.com. And I've also launched a podcast called the True Wealth Podcast. And you can find um, me on iTunes or at truewealthpodcast.com, wealth spelled W-E-L-L-T-H. Mm. And of course, we have those links in the show notes and so the last question then for you, if you just feel into your heart for one second and you've given us so much already, in one or two words, what's one thing you want every woman to know? Own your life. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. There it is right there. Own your life. Manisha, thank you so much. You've been such a pleasure to have on the Purpose Girl podcast. I learned so much. I know everyone listening to this has learned so much. And I so appreciate that you gave us tips that, of course, I know women are going to want to hire you. And you gave tips to say, even if you don't hire me, like, go do this. And it's so helpful. So thank you so much. Thank you to all of you out there. What great advice. Own your life. I mean, there it is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Purpose Girl Podcast. We hope you loved it. If you did, Hop on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave your five-star review. It can literally be one minute of your time and one sentence, and it helps so much because as you leave your five-star reviews, that's how women all over the world are finding us. That's how we ended up number two in self-help in Hong Kong. That's how we ended up number four in self-help in Chile. All over the world, your review. So take that minute, go on over, Apple Podcasts or whatever your favorite podcast listener is, and leave that five-star review. As always, you can find me over. Join the Purpose Girls Facebook group if you haven't. We are 1,700 women growing strong every day. My team puts out a motivational, inspirational question, idea, journal prompt for you. So make sure you're heading over there. And of course, finding me over on Instagram at Karen Rockhind or on the business page on Facebook at Coach Karen Rockhind. As always, go to PurposeGirl.com to find the Happiness Women Shop to... Check out the Living on Purpose course to download your free Living on Purpose guide and to email me what it is that you want me to talk about here on the Purpose Girl podcast. I love, love, love hearing from you. And the most important thing that you can do 
is to share this podcast with every woman that you know. Share this podcast with the women in their 20s and 30s who could be putting on that sunscreen now. Share this podcast with the women in their 60s and 70s who need, who still can, if they save today, it will still benefit them in the 20, 30 years to go. Let's spread this message with women all over the world because that's what we're doing here. We are changing the world one woman at a time. As always, may you live purposefully, may you love yourself, and may you love life. Bye for now.